welcome to the third hour on a Wednesday of Talk of the Town. This is left, right, and center on the left of the political spectrum. Jeff Schlemmer, local London uh, lawyer and political activist. On the right side of the of the, uh, of the uh, spectrum is Robert Metz, um, Ontario president. Yes. Of the Freedom Party. That's correct. And uh, But he's not here to represent the Freedom Party, and Jeff's not here to represent the NDP. It's just simply two gentlemen of divergent uh, views about uh, what's going on in our community and our society in general. We thought it might be interesting this morning, and I'm kind of curious to hear this, too. We have kind of dealt with this issue as we've gone along. But I thought it would be interesting this morning to, to ask these two gentlemen to analyze each other, not as individuals, but as, they're, uh, as they are perceived. When the left, quote, again, looks at the right, quote, what do they see? And vice versa, when the right looks at the left, what do they see? I'm going to ask Jeff Schlemmer to start. Uh, uh, and again, we're not talking necessarily about Bob and Jeff, but just kind of in general terms. And then we're going to, we're going to expand the discussion and ask you where you think these lines are drawn. But Jeffrey, when, you, when people talk to you about the right, now you get a chance to talk to Bob every week, and I'm, I'm guessing that there are probably a lot of people on the left side of the spectrum who, who never get a chance to sit down kind of one-on-one -on -one and discuss issues uh, calmly and sensibly with someone who's you know, quite a bit different uh, in terms of the political beliefs. One, if someone were to say to you, what do you think the right represents in our community or, or our province or our country? What, what's your answer? What do you think the right is all about? Well, there's, there's obviously all kinds of um, uh, different areas you can get into talking about, but I think that in a broad general sense that the right represents people who believe in, in freedom, as uh, Bob would say, I think, and that it's the difference between a, a basically society where you make your own way, uh, you're independent, and uh, the chips fall where they may, which is sort of how the, I perceive the right versus the left are sort of the more touchy-feely, um, we're a big community, we should try and get along, help each other out, and all that kind of thing. I think both sides value similar things in the sense that they both value achievement, they both value hard work, uh, they value, uh, I think they both value... Uh, Oh, um, uh, larger things, integrity, certainly. Uh, or if you go down the line, there are all kinds of things that are similar on, but I think that at the end of the day, it's sort of a question of do you make your own way in the world or do you try and make it as a group? Bob, from your perspective on the right side of, uh, of the political line, when you look at the left, what, 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 do, what do you see there? Well, it, it's interesting because I think the basic difference, uh, Jeff has alluded to it here a bit, he talks about the right being more independent, more individualistic. I would think most people would view the left as being more collective more more collectivist is the term that we use. Um, the thing that distinguishes a left-wing collective approach from a voluntary collective approach which would, which would exist under a right-wing type of a concept is, is the fact that under the left-wing concept you have to be forced into that collective. And uh, basically a m major thing with uh, left-wing ideology is a left-wing uh, philosophy deals with group rights rather than with individual rights. More to the point, we have, you know, French rights, language rights, uh, rights based on race, rights based on economic status, uh, rights, rights based on sex. People are grouped into these groupings rather than treated as individuals. If we look, for example, at the, uh, at the Ontario provincial government, um, characterized as a far-right government in the minds of many, uh, let me ask you, Bob, uh, is that a right-wing government in the sense that you just talked about? I mean, there's still a lot of uh, collective ideals there that, that they espouse? Uh, uh, not in my mind. I see, again, I'm a fragment of the right. I look at the Ontario Conservatives, and I still see them as seeing, being, let, let us say, left of center. 
Um, in terms of what I view as a, as a as a freedom point of view, is I, I like to see, for example, in healthcare and education, a much free, much more free market, much more much more competition, much more. Uh, uh, choice in insurance and healthcare, and cho choice of schools, teachers, qualifications, everything should be diversified. Whereas I think if you're talking from a left-wing point of view, you're still looking at a, at a state monopoly, at a, at a controlled system. Now, the problem is some of the, some of the uh, left and right-wing labels blur in a large sense, because I'm not a traditional right-winger. Um, I would say that traditionally the difference between the left and right are the way they view property to a large degree. Mm -hmm. um, the left wing views property as a public commodity, whereas the, whereas the right should, you know, views it as a private commodity, but often wants to control it, which is the part of the right wing that I disagree with. I, Jeff, I want to ask you the same question about our Ontario government. Again, the, the public perception of many is that it is a right-wing government. Bob says, well, in many ways it's not. What's your analysis, again, from your perspective? Are they... Is this a right-wing government in this province? Oh, I would have thought it was a very right-wing government, uh, and that, uh, from my end of it, I think that this government's trying to, again, get back to individual rights. One of the things that I, I don't uh, agree with uh, Bob, and that is the question of whether the left involves forcing people into collective as opposed to right, not forcing people. I think that force is a separate thing, and we see totalitarian governments on both the left and the right throughout history, and nobody really likes force. However, I think that it's more a question of whether you see that the best society you can create for yourself is involved in working together. Uh, and we're going to get into buzzwords here, and working together, I can tell, isn't the right word I really mean, because it sounds touchy-feely, but basically... Uh, the difference between whether you think that our society is best served by letting individuals go out and make their own way and do the best they can for themselves, uh, and the Adam Smith invisible hand will then you know rise up our our level of uh, our standard of living. We'll make the best possible society for ourselves. I, I I think the left and the right both want to create the best societies we can, but we have a different vision well, of how you go about getting there. There's a big difference. You seem to think that by some collective effort that those individuals who have to earn their own way don't have to do that anymore. They still do. In oh, fact, sure. they have to work harder because there's more people carried on their back who don't want to work or who can't work or whatever else. Well, that's what you believe. So, but Sure, you have to work hard under both, but it's a question from my end of it as to whether you're going to be further ahead as a society at the end of the day by sort of having uh, uh, intervention in what do you mean by lives? further ahead? You, like that, well, this, guess, this is a big question because sure. how are you defining your ideal society? We, you may be defining something totally different than I would aspire to, and therefore we're, we're using cross-judgments over the same thing. Yeah, know? well, I'm, I'm, and I'd be interested in talking about that with you because my, my uh, thinking is that what we'd like to do is have a society where everybody's got enough to get by, basically everybody's got enough food, shelter, and all that kind of stuff, where people are can lead fulfilling lives, uh, where people can contribute, because I think that that's something that does make your life richer. We're, we're, and again, I can make them back to my sort of Christian thing, but uh, this whole idea of selflessness as being something that makes you feel good. Maybe ultimately it's the most selfish thing you can do. I don't know. Well, uh, you know, I, I think the history of mankind, you know, if you go back to ancient history, I don't know whether you would have called some of the ancient tribes left or right wing or whatever, but generally, mankind's history has been a bloody feud and battle since, since the beginning, and that's how okay. major changes have come. And I think that the advantage of living in a free society, in a civilized society, and I define civilization on this premise, that force must be banned from human relationships. To the degree that a society bans uh, the initiation of force by one person to another, whether that's through government, through any agency or whatever, uh, to that degree, the society is civilized. To the degree that the society institutionalizes that force, 
that society becomes less civilized. Let me ask a question of each of you here. Um, I want to involve human nature, and I, I recognize that's a very a large area to go into, but I want to try to, to narrow it down as much as I can. Would, first, would either of you disagree with the premise that, uh, that the more productive individuals among us do tend to be individuals? In other words, uh, positive selfishness, the idea that, that uh, I'm going to work hard for the gains that I get, tends to be a motivator in our society. The people that lead the society, and uh, not necessarily politically, but in other ways, tend to be people who bust their butts on an individual basis to get ahead because that tends to be human nature. Jeff, would you disagree with that? Uh, well, it depends how you're measuring it. If you're measuring it by money or by um, things that you accumulate, then I think you're right that the people who are work in, working for their selfish best interests are the most productive. They make, uh, say, the most money. But they also uh, have created a lot of the infrastructure in our society that uh, land developers, you know, they build places for us to live and so on. Although it's hard to compare that to somebody like a Mother Teresa, uh, who one might argue works uh, equally hard but in a different way and it really has nothing to show for it at the which end of the day. Is, which is more or emblematic, do you think of human beings, uh, the human experience as a whole? Is it, the, is it the businessman who works hard and, as you say, provides places to live and cars to drive and TVs to buy and so on, makes a lot of money, puts a lot of it back into the community investment and so on, or a Mother Teresa who, who really, you know, gave from herself and gave herself? Which is more representative of human beings as a whole, do you think? Uh, well, that's a good not, not in an ideal world, but in, in, the, in, a, in, in, in a practical world, the, the world that we live in. The world we live in, I would say that the, the former, the, the folks who work for themselves, because that's what we've tended to value in our society. Yeah. Bob, is, that a, is, it a, is it a question that we value that, or is, is that See, human would, nature coming to the I floor? would have said both are human nature. I've already said that I think Mother Teresa did what she did because she enjoyed doing it. Um, I know all kinds of people who are doing things not for monetary gain. Uh, it's it's ironic that that it's always the left that seems to be so focused on the economic of things, or you know, as if to say that we're always measuring things economically. I'm not, but economics is is an important measurement of things, but it only measures trade. It only measures things that we physically trade and do between each other. It doesn't measure love. It doesn't measure other values that we have in life, although they are ultimately reflected in our economy. You can tell where the money goes in terms of our aesthetic preferences, whether it's in entertainment or whatever. But I think uh, people generally act in their rational self-interest. And when they're in a collective situation, that, that process becomes, well, perverted in a way. Because when you are suddenly forced to work for others, your motivation is going to disappear. Well, that's, the, that's where I wanted to get with this, the, the idea that, that there's a certain, and, and you gentlemen both know, many of our listeners do, that uh, if, you, if you look at a circle and if you say that, uh, let's look at the clock, all right, at 6 o'clock on the clock sits the people in the center, at uh, 10 o'clock and at 2 o'clock sit the people respectively on the left and the right, if you go up to noon, they tend to meet again. There is a lot of common ground between, if people understand what I'm trying to say, that uh, eventually as you go around, you find there's a lot of common ground between the right and the left. But my, my question is, is, is the left, as far as it goes, the idea of collectivism, the idea of collective security, the idea of, uh, of the welfare state, the idea of, uh, of trying to better the community as a whole, um, is that is that an attempt to change human nature or to expand on on uh, shall we say a lesser developed side of human nature? Uh, in that sense, is it less natural than the people on the right who believe 
that most people are in it for what they get. And as Bob said, you some other Teresa was, and I think we'd have to admit that, right? She did get something out of it. Uh, she may have sacrificed uh, selflessly in, a, in an economic sense, but obviously she got some re rewards that kept her going because we don't keep going unless we've got rewards. Um, Jeff, I, I, I realize I'm kind of going around in a circle here. What I'm trying to get at, um, a lot of people suggested that this collective ideal on the left, is it really is more an ideology than a reflection of the reality of human nature and that it is attempt to kind of force people um, perhaps to be better than they naturally would be. I mean, better is not the right idea, but to, to, to convince them that if we all work together, we can make things better, even though it kind of goes against our instincts. Do you think it goes against our instincts? No, I don't, but I think that, uh, that we have been socialized for a long time, and uh, Bob says for thousands of years we've had wars over trying to accumulate land, uh, trying to dominate other people, and so on. Um, but, but I think that uh, human nature is fairly malleable. It can go in one direction or another, and most of us just want to get along. <laughs> we just want to get along with everybody else. Uh, and the question of sort of where the, the ideal of selflessness fits in there is, uh, is one that, to me, is is one that's not strongly reflected in our society today. For instance, our advertising uh, values, accumulating things. It's always, we have to buy cars, we have to buy stereos, we have to buy the biggest house we can get, and so on. Uh, we've gone down that road, but uh, I, I'm interested in finding out from Bob sort of what what other values there are out there other than the accumulation of wealth from the standpoint of the right, because uh, I think that there are a lot of shared values, and I think you once mentioned that maybe in Canada the right and left aren't as different as they might be in some other countries because we have some, some shared values. But I have... Uh, when I wanted to bug a friend of mine who was a, an avowed right-winger, I, I said, well, you know, when I, when I talk to my kids about the difference between the right and left, uh, that uh, I think that it comes down to a question of whether fundamentally you most strongly value uh, selfish, selfishness or selflessness. And I said that obviously tongue-in-cheek, because I don't, I don't think that's right. But, but generally, though, that uh, from the standpoint of the left, it seems to me that once you've got enough... Um, enough together for yourself to have some you know, have your basic needs met you've got some food you've got a place to live and so on the ideal uh, that nobody ever achieves but the ideal is to try to be selfless it's to try to uh, build a community. It's to try to help people who need help. The, that's what you'd like to ideally be trying to do. And I don't well, know if that's the same boy, for the right. You, you're describing hell to me. I would not <laughs> want to live in a world where people were selfless because those are the most dangerous people in the world. You don't know what motivates them. They change your mind from day to day. They're driven by ambitions beyond their own self-interest. And I wouldn't trust one as far, you know, as far as you could see them. Um, you know, human nature and ideology, Jim, you were asking earlier about the left just being an ideological uh, figment of someone's imagination. I think that if ideology doesn't suit human nature, uh, it's a false ideology. And to try to impose it upon human beings is a, is, becomes a moral crime because you have to impose it. You cannot, you cannot willingly tell people to accept this philosophy. They will not willingly accept it. Um, Jeff asks, what are values beyond the economic well you know i come on this show every week my ultimate value is freedom individual freedom which i think is the highest value that a society can have and i think that uh freedom is under attack by both the left and right i hate to say i mean in the sense that uh both would like to control different aspects of our freedom is it, is it certainty that causes us to want to control everybody is it which certainty is it certainty? A, a desire why do we want to control well I think there's a strong, I think there's a strong sort of internal battle in every individual be, between 
uh, wanting to be secure and wanting to have one's freedom, and there's a balance in there. As long as you're dealing with your own choices and your own resources and your own life, you have a freedom to make all the choice, choices and decisions in that regard, but you don't have the right to make the, that for other people. And this is where I'm afraid a left-wing ideology departs from what I need, anything I could support. It would be wonderful if, you know, if the left-wing ideology is so great, why isn't it a voluntary ideology? Why can't people just form their own communes and form their own collective enterprises and things like that? Well, they so can. They do. Well, they, they can, can but, but they don't. So there must be something inherently wrong with well, it. Well, some do, and that's what churches are to some extent. There are all kinds of examples in our community of subgroups of people who get together for whatever reason. For sure, and social together. groups and social yeah. gatherings. I mean, there's everything from Star Star Trek clubs to <laughs> to uh, to religious gatherings, but these are non-economic activities, and I know people that are involved in a lot of them very he heavily, but there is a lot of economics behind it. I mean... This is Talk of the Town in 1290 CJBK Economics Dictate. We pause for a moment. We'll continue with Left, Right, and Center right after this. It's Left, Right, and Center on Talk of the Town. And, of course, you're invited to join us at any time. I thought it might be interesting and instructive today to take a look at the positions of the left and the right and how they view themselves. Uh, because usually on the program we talk about specific issues from these perspectives. I thought the perspectives themselves might be interesting to you, uh, it, it, particularly if you're trying to decide for yourself exactly where you are in the political spectrum. Uh, I want to come back to a comment that Bob made a couple minutes ago about uh, about the, the, the group activities on the left tend to be coercive. There tends to be a sense that that we're going to, and stop me if I'm wrong here, Bob, but the sense that uh, the government is going to, uh, for our benefit, is going to put us into these groups, is going to bring these groups together and, and sort of, you know, well, you may not like it now, but you'll like it eventually. Am I, am I accurate mm -hmm. in what you're saying? Sort of, yeah. Okay, then, Jeff, the, the question to you would be, uh, I, I take it you don't agree with that. Correct. Okay. Why is it then that it seems so very often that the kinds of community efforts put forth by the, by the, by the left tend to look to the government for funding for them. Why is it that so often government money pays such a place, such a large, or tax money pays such a, or plays such a large role? Well, I guess uh, I, can, I can speak on a sort of a micro, a micro level, which is that uh, social agencies I've been involved in, um, we have from time to time spent a lot of time doing fundraising and if somebody comes along and says we will provide you with fundraising then obviously we'll take it. That's the short answer on that end of it. As to why the government offers it or why left-wing governments tend to offer it, I think it's because they recognize that social agencies are often a good place to uh, to put money to get things done. For instance, uh, in a way this is sort of a, a crossing over that left-right boundary again, but what I had heard uh, particularly in the um, early 90s from the NDP government was that they wanted to fund uh, small uh, nonprofit, private nonprofit corporations, uh, social agencies, to run all kinds of programs because they thought they were more efficient than running them as a government bureaucracy. Uh, so they would contract them out. As to whether the work needs to be done in the first place or not, I think Bob might disagree and say, for instance, uh, the one uh, agency I'm thinking of uh, does employment uh, work trying to get people back into employment. Um, you know, a lot of people would argue that maybe that does, shouldn't be done at all by government. Well, I think the main reason the left-wing offers, left-wing governments, that, that is, offers all these incentives and benefits is to buy votes. And I think that's the main motivation. Um, you don't think people would, would go in this direction without those incentives? Well, listen, if somebody offers you free health care and free education, and you actually believe that they're going to offer it to you for free or at a cheaper rate than you can get it elsewhere, 
you're going to convince an awful lot of people to go along with that, even though it's not going to work. It never has worked anywhere it's tried. It's just a credit card system, and when the credit card's up to the end, it's all over and done with. Oh, we disagree with that, yeah. obviously, but uh, having said that, it's well, not how can anybody thinks it's free. We, we all know we're paying taxes. Today? It's just a question of whether we think we're paying, whether it's more efficient to do it as a as a, all of us together in a government system, see, or whether it's better to funny. buy private insurance I would have, I would have, I would have, you have to pay for somebody's profit. I would have defined a right-winger as being a person who's obsessed with government efficiency, but Jeff, you seem to be a little right-wing in this regard. You're always talking about efficiency, as though efficiency were a moral standard or a standard on which a government should operate. I, just I don't think products. a government has to... Well, that's not a government job. A government is, a, but, is an agency of force created to... So we have a referee in our society. But it's going to be a big job. And it's going to be a big company or a big government that'll run it. Healthcare is a big thing. You're not going to have a little... Well, if you it. look at the whole industry as one big massive collective, which I know the left is tendent to do. I don't see it as that. I see it as millions of patients, millions of doctors, millions of healthcare practitioners, insurance companies. I see it as the broken up matrix of all these individual people interacting to form a marketplace. Uh, when, when you when you go to a big collective single single cell amoeba type of approach to, to health care and, and education, you're going to get what you pay for. You're going to get one economy massive of scale. mess. <laughs> economy of scale is not what you're getting at all. Absolutely this is not. Talk of the Town, left, right, and center, a regular feature here on Wednesdays on the program. Uh, you are invited to join us, too, at 643-1290. If you're a Cantel Cellular customer, it's a free call at star 1290. Ivan joins us. Good morning, Ivan. Hi, how are you? Fine, thanks. I'm neither a left or a ring. I just take left or right. I just take responsibility for all my actions. That's mm -hmm. what I do. Mm -hmm. For instance, Bob is very kind to uh, the left ring wingers. For instance, when I went to start my business in 1975, I didn't go out and take a look for the bank to give me money. I didn't go to the government. When I, the day I started my business, I didn't have my mortgage payment. I didn't have my car payment. So what did I do? I mortgaged my house. I mortgaged the rest of my car. I mortgaged my wife and family. That's what I did. That's but we can see what the left does to us. Bob Ray ruined this province. He gave us a $100 billion debt, a $10 billion deficit. And now everybody blames Harris. No, I'm not a Harris fan. He's done a lot of things that I don't believe in. But it's not his fault. It's Ray's fault. It's the left's fault that it's all happening. All right, thank you for the call, Ivan. Have a great Appreciate day. Appreciate it. Jeff, I, I want to follow that up for, for a minute. It, I don't think there's any disputing that the, the last left-wing government we had in this province was the Ray government, and they did increase public spending to an unconscionable degree, I think, doubled, uh, doubled the debt and so on in the five years they were in. Uh, many people looked at them as being a classic, modern left-wing government. They did deal with some of the fiscal realities eventually and so on. But uh, can you or do you defend the economic record of, the, of, of Ontario's last truly left-wing government? Oh, sure. And when you come to uh, deficit spending, of course, <clears throat> the left did not invent deficit spending, that we've got all kinds of right-wing governments, particularly uh, some of the western provinces, Saskatchewan, for instance, that ran debt-free until they got a Tory government, and the Tories ran up a huge deficit there. Uh, you've got BC that historically runs a low deficit, Histor uh, historically, at least for the last number of years, has been an NDP government. The reason we got huge deficit in Ontario was because of the recession that started in 1990. If the government had cut $10 billion in spending each year, the province would look an awful lot different than 
than it does today. Uh, the problem is that we haven't come back from it, and the dis disagreement now is how do we deal with having come through that crisis? How do we how do we patch things up? Everybody going into the last election was agreeing we've got to get rid of the deficit. We can't continue to run these deficits. It's only a question of how you go about getting rid of it. Uh, and we see a perfect uh, example of two different approaches between the Liberals federally and the uh, Harris government provincially. Now, some may argue that the uh, pr the federal government has been more artful in the way they've made cuts because they've certainly made huge cuts. Well, I'm glad you hear you say that because <laughs> I'm one of them that think they've been very artful. But, you know, they did things like deferring them for a year. It's like we're going to announce a cut now, but it won't come in for a mm -hmm. year. And that very effectively diffused... Um, public debate about it, people that weren't going to deal with it when it was announced because it's a year away. By the time it's, it comes up on us, it's like, well, you should have talked to us a year ago, uh, whereas the Tories have gone for a much more confrontational style. I, I don't think that's a function of being right or left. It's just the way that they've chosen to run things. 643-1290 is the telephone number. You can dial that left-handed or right-handed. We don't care. And you're always welcome on the program. Jim's with us. Good morning, Jim. Yeah, question. Bob made the comment there that he believed that um, the right was total freedom. Was, was that correct, Bob? Well, that's what I support. I wouldn't say that the traditional right wing is that necessarily. Traditionally, if you're going to define right and left along a freedom axiom, I think what you'd mostly find is that the left has been supportive of basic, basic civil liberties, civil freedoms, and the right generally is identified with economic freedoms. But you can't, you can't have, you, if, I guess you want total freedom economically, but not... And civilly. Well, so if you go so, completely so, to the right total freedom, that's anarchy. Absolutely not. Freedom is not meaning does not mean you can do whatever you want to do. I mean, this is an aberration of the term. The term means it's a social concept. It's not an individualistic concept. It's a concept that says that you and I, as individuals, before and under the law of our government, have equal well, rights well, and equal well, freedoms. Not, well, we're not free then if you put the law in, because well, the law is imposed by somebody else. Well, you know, if you look in a dictionary, there's 50 definitions of the word freedom, and you're using a very loose social definition. But this is a political debate. This is about left and right. And when you're talking politics, you're talking about freedom in terms of government, in terms of politics. And in that sense, freedom is a very specific thing. It is a thing under which people have individual rights before and under the law. It is, it is a limit on our freedom of action, so to speak. I mean, it only makes sense. What, what, what value or definition can you give to freedom if everybody could do everything? Would that be what a free society well, is about? Well, that's my point. On, on, on the spectrum of left to right, total right is anarchy and total left is complete government control well, and well, I don't want neither no, no, kidding. no, no I, I would I would not agree with your uh, with your assessment there I think most people would say total left is like communism and total right is fascism well, that's what I'm saying fascism is a long way from anarchy fascism is very very close in many ways to socialism it's going around the clock as I talked about before well. as, as you move halfway around the circle you find there are a tremendous number of differences as you move to the top of the circle you find that they both come together well, don't the Nazis weren't fascists the Nazis don't, were socialists no don't well don't, don't well, well, by well, definition they were, but they were both because because the, the, the essential political difference between fascism and socialism is that under socialism, they view private, pro or they, they view private, or property rather, as a collective entity. It's mm -hmm. all, you know, right. the public property. Under fascism, they still allow private property in name, but control the property, which is, which is why fascism generally seems to be a much more efficient state. Mm -hmm. Because they do know that people who at least have their name on the title deed have some vested interest in keeping up the front, their storefront or whatever else. Also, if you look at the political spectrum on the, on the extreme right, 
you want to have zero taxes, and on the extreme left, you want to have have 100% taxes. So somewhere in the middle, we have to find that happy hunting ground. Well, I think that I think that's a very interesting comment. We talked a little bit about that last week about yeah. uh, how much taxes we would put up with. Jim, thank you for your All call right, okay, today. Guy, bye bye. I think it is important to note, gentlemen, and, and if you disagree with me, please say so. But I think it is important to note that the uh, what people, some people consider the ultimate left and the ultimate right, fascism and communism, were, are both socialist. Uh, doctrines in that Absolutely. sense. Yes. They're both collectivist doctrines, yes. even though they come from... And know, the thing they share in common is the application of government force to force people into those collective groups, although the, the purpose, the stated purpose for the collective group is something different. Um, again, I think that both extremes are, are a sign of a, of a society that is no longer a civilization. Jeff, you're okay. nodding your head a little bit. You're shaking well, your head a little bit here. I guess... Uh, uh, both of them are governments that are extremely intrusive, no question about that, and totalitarian. Uh, and I, I'm sure trying to get my head around what Bob sees as sort of an ideal of, of government. And by definition, it would seem that it would be a government that's much less than it is. Uh, the challenge would be to find somebody who, who wanted to get elected to say, I want far less well, power it, than it, I have now. It would be a government that's limited to what I see as the role of government. The government was never... Uh, an agency by which we all get together and buy cheap products. It was never an agency that was formed so that we could provide health care to people or to provide education. Those things came way after the institution of government. But government's an arbitrary yeah. term. Government, you have a government if you have two people who get together and uh, agree to do something together. Uh, there's no sort of arbitrary saying of this is what government is and wasn't. You can say historically it was this or it was that, but there's no uh, no primacy to that. It doesn't give any more force to your well, argument. That's not true at all. In a free society, the government gains its authority, its legitimate authority over the citizens it governs via their consent. Now, the problem is, how do we define consent? How, when does someone consent to, to their government? Do we consent collectively through the democratic process where 51% can tell 49% what to do? Or do we have a more individualistic approach where each individual can individually consent to certain things? But what, are you saying you could opt out from certain laws then if you don't like them? Well, certainly anything in the sense of wealth transfer, which is not a proper government function. I want to live in a country where I know that the, that the, that the referee in the game is, is neutral, that he's not going to pick sides. He's not going to be on labor's side or business's side or, or even be arbitrarily uh, opposed to a criminal to understand that everyone who's charged before the law has rights. But wouldn't, by definition, if you can opt out of a law, the people who opt out will be all the ones who aren't doing well under it. They'll say, well, well, I don't like the rules anymore. I'm not playing anymore. Well, by the nature of a law, you cannot opt out of it. What you have to do is, is define laws which are just and pursue them to the fullest extent possible. And I think that's always been the debate historically between left and right, is, is trying to, to, to get down to that point of what, what constitutes a just law. And I think we're getting close in realizing, and I, I still insist that the, pr the primary thing we have to do is get that application of force out of our legal system. Force is only a recursive thing, not something that should be initiated. This is Talk of the Town on 1290 CJBK, left, right, and center with Bob Metz, Jeff Schlemmer. I'm Jim Chapman, and Bill's our next caller. Good morning, Bill. Good morning. Yes, sir. I think uh, what we need is a government that's in the center, but we don't have any governments that are in the center. What would what would characterize a government in the center? What like what well, do you think, I think that government, government would do? Well, I think the government in the center would look at how everything affects basically the middle class. Well, mostly the middle class because they constitute the majority of the people in the country. Mm -hmm. Like say people families like from twenty thousand sure. to fifty, and I think these uh, officials should uh, learn like what it's like to live on you know thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars a family, mm -hmm. but, and, but, and realize how these policies uh, 
affect people that live on uh, these incomes mm -hmm. um, instead I'm, of just representing the rich people or or the other part swinging down to help the poor people you got to help the poor people a bit but uh you know you can't take away incentive if you're going from a left point well, of view and if you're going from a right point of view you can't say profits are everything and uh, then have businesses not give anything back to the community when they're making uh, major profits Bill, Bill, you're suggesting that, that the government should represent the center, not the rich or the poor. No, I'm saying uh, they should represent all people, not just not just one aspect. But if they're going to represent one aspect, then maybe they should go with the majority. Well, what do you think they should represent? Um, for example, say you believe in abortion and your neighbor doesn't. Say you believe in Sunday Well, then shopping. they should allow free votes. Well, I think the government well, should allow the uh, members to have free votes so that we'll have a true democracy. That's what I believe. Well, then what if the things that you believe in get outvoted? Would you be happy to live in a society like that where everything you believe in and all the things you value, because other people may not share your values, they won't allow you to live your own life? Is that the kind of a world you want to live in? Well, that's kind of the world we live in right now anyway. Well, I, I agree. Don't you think it's time we changed it? And maybe instead of talking about voting for other people, that we just voted in the marketplace and made our own choices and got government right out of the, right out of it completely. The problem with that, though, is that once once everything's in the marketplace, then everything's derived on profit. Eh? And when you, you're delivering government services to people, then the poor people are disadvantaged because they can't pay for those services, and the government's supposed to represent all people. Well, you know, profit makes prices go down, so if, if profit's an evil, it's, it's got to be... It's not an evil. I'm not saying it's an evil. Right. I'm saying there's a place and a limit on profit, too. Like, you have to pass it on to the workers. Otherwise, you have savage capitalism, which is the same as communism. So if you're not passing but it no, on to no. the market, if all the workers are getting, getting uh, a little bit of money so that they can purchase products, then that helps, uh, helps the economy, too. But, Bill, consider the contradiction in your statement. You're talking about there should be a limit on profits, and I agree there is one. It is the marketplace. Uh, a person cannot make more profit than, you know, it's an old saying, what the market will bear. Um, if people aren't buying your product at the price you've got on it, you're going to go out of business. So I wouldn't worry about anybody's profit. What you've got to worry about as a consumer is prices. That's what means something to you. The thing is, though, that there's still uh you can say that about discretionary income but there's still certain things that you have to buy you have to buy your butter your milk and there's certain things you can't get away from buying well absolutely and aren't you glad the government doesn't control those things or you'd be really paying a lot of money for well, it. thanks for your call today it's good to hear from you and we've got chuck up next hello chuck morning jim yes sir morning folks uh bob i i, I talked to you before and we were talking about the freedom thing and that one gentleman come on said said the same thing that uh freedom and, and I've never seen anybody so that has got me so confused and so backward and a hypocritical thing is is what you're talking about you you, you say you're on the right and yet you're on the left and then you're on the right and then you're on the left and I, I just can't figure it out like you were talking about some people that uh, uh, I just can't remember but anyway about the society of people and their the way of the life but I was going to ask you what, what you think about the Mennonites and people like that. And you were talking about Mother Teresa. She does what she wants to do. Mm -hmm. And then you were talking about, and then there's the Mennonites and the Quakers that come up and help the people. And, and, uh, Wonderful. And, you know, they spend their money uh, socially and, and split everything. Right. And uh, so and what, they do do so about, what do you think about those people? I mean, do you think that, that they're on the left or they're on the right? 
I wouldn't put them on a scale like that. I don't, you know, see, it's interesting whether, what, where you go on the left or right, whether you're defining left or right in terms of freedom or in terms of force, it's, it, you, you'll get a different response. But I, I see nothing wrong with the Mennonite or Quaker lifestyle. They're not coming to my door and saying, you must join our Mennonite group or you must become a Quaker, and to me that would be a, a forced collective approach, which is what I see as a left wing. They're also not asking for your money. Nor that. No, they're not also asking, but, and, then, and they go out and help people. Absolutely. Everything goes on, the Quakes, and everything. And this is what I was wondering, why, what, what you think of those? With, Pure well, spirit of all me, they're, wonderful. To me, they're the left-hand people. Yeah, they're, they're on the left? I think they are. Can you, can you say they're not on the left? Because they're a collective, you mean? Yeah, because they're... Well, let's ask, let's ask Jeff, uh, do they belong on your side of the, the spectrum, the uh, groups like the Quakers and Mennonites and so on, that, that do operate in a somewhat collective society, but generally speaking have no interest in government intervention nor in government money? Yeah, no, I, I would say that that's sort of a classic left-wing idea. That uh, go, I go back to the idea that on the left, what we're trying to do is work together. On the right, you're trying to work individually. Show me a left-wing country anywhere in the world where where they voluntarily allow people to join in their left-wing utopia. I don't understand the, the distinction between left and right in terms of voluntarism, because from what I can see, left-wing right governments and right-wing governments tell you what to do and when. Uh, they're, they're both, they both tell you the way it's going to be. To some degree, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't uh, defend either of those applications. But, you know, I can see where Chuck's coming from here. And I remember your call, Chuck. I mean, uh, you're calling a collective something that you see as a social thing, and it is social, but remember the difference between right and left is not collective per se, it's voluntary or forced. On the left you've got a, a basically forced collective where people have to become part of a group, and on, on, I don't even like to call it the right because even the right, this is where labels start falling off, also have their forced collectives, but in a free society people have their collectives voluntarily and that's what the Mennonites and Quakers are doing. Chuck, we appreciate your call today. Up next is uh, Dave. Good morning, Dave. Morning, Jim. Yes, sir. I just wanted to make a comment basically aimed uh, towards Jeff and uh, I remember his comments last week on talking about Sunday shopping and how he didn't think we should have it and I always find it odd how people uh, have their own sort of uh, little world model of how they want things to be and he said uh, you know he thought it'd be wonderful if we didn't have Sunday shopping and things were at a different pace and I, I wondered if Jeff you know ever took his family to a Sunday matinee at the theater if the guy selling the popcorn the ticket guy uh, enjoyed working on Sundays or if he ever got gas on Sundays or you know went to dinner at a restaurant on Sundays it's kind of a fallacy of uh, that you know everybody has Sunday off and, and to enjoy it there's, there's all kinds of industries from emergency services uh, to service industries where people have always worked Sundays. I guess getting gas depends on what restaurant you go to, too. Don't you? Yes, that might be, too. The Mexican <laughs> restaurant might cause it. Well, Jeff, what about that? You, you did make that comment last week. You thought yeah. we, would, we would be better off. What about, uh, I mean, have you ever bought gas on a Sunday? Obviously, oh, sure. Right? I'm, sure. I'm a total hypocrite. I have to tell you going into this that I, when I talked about the left at the start, I said these are things that you aspire to. You aspire to try to lead a life of selflessness. You try to, like I said, from my perspective, I guess it's a question of sort of what kind of world do you want to leave to your kids? What do you want to be able to say you did it at the end 
into your life. From my end of it, it would be nice to be able to say, I tried to do the right thing. I tried to help people who needed help. Uh, you know, I tried to create a world that was uh, less polluted than it was. Those are the kinds of values that I, that I personally like. Now, as to whether I would impose Sunday shopping on someone else, I don't know that I, or, or not Sunday shopping, I don't know that I would. And as far as whether I take advantage of buying things on Sunday, yeah, I do, because I fall short of my, my ideals all the time. Well, aren't you saying then, Jeff, that, you know, you're saying that your ideal of selflessness places you in a hypocritical situation and this is exactly what i'm saying it's not in accordance with human nature you're you 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 have to be untrue to yourself to to be able to carry on this ideology well i come back to this this christian thing again that nobody's perfect and what we try and do is try to be try to live up to a certain set of standards whether we can or not but uh, well, I, I guess I, as an idealist, that. I think people are basically good. People would basically like to do the right thing. And I don't think people are basically selfish at root. I don't think that's what's natural for us. We're selfish to the extent that we want to stay alive. We want to keep our families alive. But beyond that, we've got our, the rest of our well, day to fill. And I would suggest hmm. that the human condition is that we'd like to try and create a better world with the rest of our day rather than just accumulate things. You see, what you're calling selfish there, I would call self-interest, rational self-interest. Selfishness, to me is when one individual wants to live at another individual's expense without that individual say so. And that seems to me what socialism is all based about. Well, certainly the right is based there, on that. Absolutely not. There's a big difference between a person who wants to take, you know, John Smith wants to take Joe's money away from him, and Joe just wants to keep his money. He's not selfish because he wants to keep the money he earned. No, he earned it. On the right, it's we have his. a system where in a, in a free market, the, the tendency is towards uh, oligopolies. We end up with very few corporations running things. So, for instance, if I want to have freedom to put my money where I want and uh, have the services that I want, I don't have that because the system has evolved such that now we have people, other people, well, not okay. politicians, but senior executives deciding for me where I'll be able to put my money and how much of a, I'll and pay for some charges to decide for you instead? No, I'm saying that doesn't distinguish the right from the left. Both of them are intrusive. Let's go back to the phones. David, I appreciate your call today. Thanks, Jim. Thank you, sir. Okay, 643-1290 and Gord's with us. Good morning, Gord. Hi, how are you, Jim? Great, thank you. Yes, in a perfect world, I guess we wouldn't really need left or right, would we? <laughs> True. You know, like I always think the economy should serve the people, not the other way around. And I think that in a lot of senses we have left-wing uh, ideologies in our government. Otherwise, if we didn't, we just have a polluted world, and the might might would be right, mm -hmm. you know. And so, uh, Mr. Metz's idea that you know, like we don't have any voluntary left ideas, we do. We incorporate it in our democracy. Well, I understand what you're saying, Gord, but you, you know, listen to your statement it, it, that the economy must serve people, or people. How did you say it? The economy should serve people, and not the other way around. Yes. Well, people I are. Pick up on that. Pe people are the economy. Yes, they are. Uh, so. I don't know, like, people serve each other. They do that in an economic way. They don't use force. They trade value for well, value. That's what a marketplace is all about. Well, we have to have checks and balances. That's why, like I said, we... But the marketplace is the check that, and balance. We invented government to have a higher society so everybody can get involved. Well, that we need a government to for, for laws and to protect our individual rights so that other people don't violate our rights. But when you're in a marketplace, you're negotiating. You're out there... You know, the check is in, in, in balances are all in place. Mr. X wants $100 for his product. Mr. Y only wants to pay 80 If they can't agree on 90 they go both they both go their separate ways. Nobody pulls a gun out on anybody, and nobody forces the one guy to sell the other guy the product cheaper or forces the other guy to pay more. But if one of those guys owns, uh, has 80% of the market, they'll tell you what the price is going to be, and that's what it ends up being. He could have 100% of the market, force. and he can't, can't control it. You know, Paul Hellier, I, I once debated Paul Hellier... 
telling me how the steel industry in Hamilton had a had a monopoly on the market because it was the only steel industry around. And I said, well, you know, if people can't afford to buy their steel at whatever price they're charging, they're going out of business. We've had tons so, of cases of price, price fixing over the years. Don't tell me that doesn't exist. Well, price fixing exists when government gets involved and fixes prices. We've got, <laughs> no, we've got no, price no, no. fixing in education. <laughs> what we've about OPEC? OPEC is not a government. OPEC collapsed, and it was a totally illegitimate uh, uh, venture, nothing that I But the thing is that they tried. The That's what we need the checks and balances for, because if we don't have it, then they'll just run away with it. Well, I agree we need government to prevent, for example, one businessman from moving in forcibly on another guy who's, who he's competing with or, or, or something like that, using force, but not not using the marketplace, not well, offering use a better product. Let me ask, that's their tool. Let me ask you a question, and, and I'm going to ask you to, to think for a moment before okay. you answer, and I'm going to ask you to be absolutely honest with me. Okay. All right. In our Canadian economy today, mm -hmm. you pay more money for staples like bread and milk than you would if we had a truly free economy because we don't they are controlled by marketing boards those controls are there to allow farmers to make a quote decent living some of them make a very good living and ostensibly to ensure that the that the supply will remain relatively stable the reality however the price you pay for that for looking after your neighbor the farmer and having some stability is that those prices are stable at a significantly higher rate than in areas that don't have those kind of price supports would you rather pay the higher price that you pay now for the for those benefits or would you rather pay what the market would require uh, knowing that it's going to be significantly less but it's not going to protect your neighbor, the farmer, in the same way. He's going to have to get out there and compete, and it's not going to uh, it's not going to protect the supply by government fiat. It's going the the only supply the the only guarantee you're going to have is that if there is a demand, there will be a supply. Which one of those two do you would you rather have? Well, I was watching CBC for you program Marketplace or something like that last night, and they're out west. They are slowly getting rid of the wheat boards mm -hmm. or. They're letting the Americans in. Yes. Yeah. And there is a fear that they will take take it over. It's okay to have, you know, money invested and have, you know, well, population. I, I think they will take it over. I don't think there's any question. But then we won't have control of our own food production. But you'll pay a lot less for your food. But Gord, you do have control. And the, what you're worried about having taken over is, is Canadians' choices. Well, no. The I only mean, way they can move in and make a success over Canadian business is if Canadians choose in droves to choose that product over the home, home Gord, done product. I want to come back to the question I asked you, though. Which would you prefer? Do you want to pay less for your, for your goods? Or do you want to subsidize your fellow Canadians? I'll be absolutely honest. Well, actually, I do want to subsidize my, my fellow well, so Canadians. So do I. It provides the well, type of society sure, I, I don't want. Have a I don't have a problem. Now, i got next next question for you. Do you ever go out and shop price on items? Yes, I do. Do you? Yes, I do. So you would go to a large uh, superstore, a box store, to buy a product if it was uh, cheaper than at your at your corner store? Depending on the quality, of course. Well, you have say, to weigh price well, and quality. Let's say the quality is the same. Mm -hmm. If you could go to your corner store and support your local merchant, mm -hmm. or go to the big box and support some 
some anonymous multinational corporation, but you're going to save significant money. Which place are you going to shop at? Uh, touche. You're right. I would shop at the cheaper place. But that paradigm, though, breaks down in the sense that it's not clear that you'll pay more for your bread just because we, uh, we have a controlled industry. The reason we control it isn't just to support uh, Canadian farmers. It's also so we do have that control so that another but uh, country do, but can't we come do, in. But we do pay a higher price for no, it. No, but it, 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 our, our countries have lost their own that's not, you know, that's not right. What happens, though, at the end of the day, if we took away all the subsidies, then all of a sudden all of our wheat comes from Argentina or somewhere. We get dependent on them. All of a sudden a government comes in or somebody, a company comes in and decides, I'm going to charge what the market in Canada will bear, and I think they can pay a lot more money than they're paying right now. The reason we do it is to try and avoid monopolistic practices where you end up with one supplier paying, or, uh, that we have to go to on bended knee to buy our stuff and then pay a lot more at the end of the day. So, so you believe in creating a monopoly to avoid monopolies. I, so it's an interesting... Well, George, thank you for your call today. We're going to pause for a moment. Left, right, and center continues right after this. And Tony joins us. Hi, Tony. How are you? Fine, thanks. Good. I'm sorry. I just listened to the last half hour of their show, and it really got me going here because I think about this quite a bit. And, uh, and you can uh, argue in detail, I suppose, from a left point, from a right point, and, uh, you know, in great detail. But uh, my question to your guests, uh, both Jeff or Bob, is this. Can you illustrate, and I think somebody mentioned it a few minutes ago, a country that's, uh, let's say in uh, Jeff's case, that has operated in a fashion that you like, that suits your maybe ideological output, uh, or view rather, that you can say is successful. And I hear the buzzwords like collective flying around, and I always get scared when I hear words like that, because I think of collective farms in Russia, and I, I see documentaries and I see their state of utopia and, and, their, and their, you know, how everybody's happy and living in, uh, in this uh, fairytale land that was promised to them. I think Israel might be a better example of that. Israel certainly has kibbutzes that are more similar, but certainly the problem with Russia was that uh, communism was sort of a cover that was used by a bunch of thugs to go in and take over a country. Uh, that nobody would suggest that Russia was a happy place to live back in the 20s and 30s. Um, I think, uh, by definition, th you can't look to a model that's sort of a pure model, obviously, that uh, they're all mixed, but Norway seems to be a country where I've read that uh, they seem to get along okay, they have a reasonable standard of living, the average wage of uh, chief executive officers is three times what it is for their workers. Um, they've got a, a strong social system. I don't, not that I know that much about it, because I don't, but, but those are the kinds of things that I, I wish we had. In my case, I, you know, I, I look in around the world, there's no perfect country. I think Canada and the United States are the two closest things to my ideal, but there's a heck of a lot wrong with them. Both are mixed economies. They've, uh, you know, I, I, you'd have to go piecemeal through policy by policy and pick out what's good and what's bad in each country. And, and hopefully, as history carries on, we will continue that process and get rid of what we know doesn't work and which doesn't suit human nature and adapt those things that do. Tony, I have to leave it there. Thank you very much for your call. And uh, Les has been waiting. Good morning, Les. Oh, I'm sorry. I, th I hope I have enough time. But I think that we, we way put way too much uh, um, weight on economy and maybe economically make sense to buy something cheap for the for for the short term mm -hmm. but the question is that collectively as a whole world society mm -hmm. because they say that the, the true man is who thinks about the world he lives in yes and as a whole world society can we afford what we're doing right now 30 years from now well what is the option the if, option is if that it collectively is, yes collectively we truly can listen to the people who are having the, the right amount of information to say what to yeah. do because the problem is in this society is that money 
money will give you the the, the greatest advantage over every any people. So do we, are you saying that we then have to force people to pay attention to the no, people who really know what's going on? It, it, nature will force us. That, that is the problem. Nothing in a free society, if we all, let's say, we all decide we're dumb enough to do what we're doing collectively, then we deserve to die. All right. Thanks for the call, Les. I don't mean to cut you off, but we want to get Robert on. Good morning, Robert. Hi. Got about a minute left. Okay, Jim. Well, I just want, I was distressed at the way that people are characterizing profits on your show. And that's basically what I think what the show is about. That And, and people on the left see profit as evil, and people on the on the, on the right see, see them as beneficial. Because, you see, profits in, in, imply that... Uh, you, that uh, there's success in, in whatever it, uh, the undertaking is. That's what profit means. Profit, from a dictionary point of view, means like a return on your investment, you know, a value, a, a, a benefit, that kind of thing. Um, so, uh, you know, so that really the word profit is a synonym for success. And that's what, uh, you know, that's... Uh, you know, the only the only way you can make profits, unless you're either a criminal or a government, is to do it through a virtuous voluntary action. All right, Robert, thank you for your call and your comments today. And thanks to uh, Robert and Jeff for coming in again. A pleasure, as always. We'll see you again next week. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. Folks, if there's anything you'd like to hear our guests discuss on the Left, Right, and Center, don't be afraid to drop us a line and let us know about it. Uh, for Jim and Ryan and Don and Jeff and Bob, Take care of each other, mind how you go, and we'll see you tomorrow for the next edition of Talk of the Town. Bye-bye.